you aspire to be a superintendent, you think you know what the job might be like, but you may not really know. Bring together like-minded people. As well as organizations that are supporting school systems. And they bring the problem of practice with a group of people to talk through it, and then with vendors who provide solutions. That's what IEI does. Brought to you by the Institute for Education Innovation, where like-minded, hard-working professionals come to listen, learn, and connect. All right, we are here on Education Thought Leaders, the newly named Education Thought Leaders. We were talk soups and CEOs for the last two years. And I am here with a fantastic, brilliant education thought leader and Dr. Robert Avosa. Robert, how are you today? Doing great. Excited about the conversation. Yeah, and we're really excited to have you here as an advisor at IEI. You've already made us better and made us smarter just in the last few weeks of working together. So we're really glad to have you as part of the team. Looking forward to the partnership and strengthening it over the years to come. Thanks. So let's let's get everyone updated on where you are. You're, you started your own shop called K-12 Leadership Matters, and you were the founder CEO there. But tell everybody how you, um, a lot of our members ask us a lot, you know, especially this time of year, I get calls, you know, how does it work to go yeah. do work on the other side <laughs> of, uh, of the vendor divide? And right. you've, you've worked in, you know, you've led huge school systems and led large organizations on the other side. So talk us through your journey. Well, first and foremost, you know, I'm a teacher at heart. I spent 25 years in public education, like most superintendents came up through the ranks, you know, teacher, principal. Uh, I was an area superintendent and deputy superintendent, Charlotte Mecklenburg schools in North Carolina for five years. I ran the Fulton County schools in Atlanta, Georgia as superintendent uh, for about five years and then ended my career in Palm Beach County, Florida, um, where I was superintendent. Uh, I then went and ran a large publishing firm down here uh, in South Florida. I enjoyed it. A lot of work with special education, convening superintendents, which I absolutely loved. Um, and, and that was a lot of fun. Uh, and about a year and a few months ago, I launched my own consulting practice where I'm helping superintendents um, try to solve difficult problems and help them avoid some of the mistakes maybe that I had made, but also learn from some of the things that I was able to accomplish. Did you know at a certain point that you had sort of two-way skills and interests that you could potentially work on both sides, both within public schools and then on the outside as an executive? Yeah, so what I learned was that many of the skills that I had honed over the years in public ed really are transferable. I think in public education, we seem to think that the private sector you know, has it all figured out, and the truth is they don't. Great solution providers and great businessmen and women really are open to this idea that they have to continuously iterate or innovate to keep up with market demands. So I realize that I've always had a bit of an entrepreneurial spirit and um, took full advantage of the opportunity to learn the two years that I ran um, the education shop uh, down here at LRP in South Florida and then built my own school, I'm sorry, skill set. Um, and I've really enjoyed it. It's been a lot of fun. I'm learning. And the wonderful thing is I'm providing services to school systems that they need and I'm helping them. So my hands are still in education, which is a ton of fun. Yes. It's, it's, an, it's an interesting leap to make too, though, where you have to sort of work for your supper, right? I've known a lot of superintendents who've come over you know, and some get jobs with salaries and all that, but those who go into uh, running their own organization, it can be 
a little scary. What, uh, how did you get up the courage to do this? Mm -hmm. What was it like when you sort of, what was that conversation like with your wife when you said, okay, I think I'm going to yeah. do this thing. So what I did was I set myself some small realistic goals. I said that within the first six months, this is what I was hoping to achieve because it is difficult. I am not uh, of retirement age. I cannot draw on a retirement. Um, I'm, you know, I turned 50 this year, so I've got to work for at least another 10 to 12 years. And it was a bit of a risk. It was also during COVID. The world had kind of come to an end. And I realized, you know what, let me give myself six months. If I begin to do well, then you know, I'll give myself another six months. Otherwise, I'll get back into the superintendent's role, which um, I didn't need to do because I did really well. And in many ways, COVID opened up more opportunities for me because so many school systems were looking for help to reopen. Whereas down here in Florida, we were forced to open. So I learned a lot about how to safely open schools. And many of my early contracts were with districts across the country that needed help just to open. Wow. Yeah. It's yeah. It's an interesting time to jump in, but congratulations to you and best of luck. Um, the, I think you, you have a unique perspective. I think, you know, our, our superintendent colleagues, IEI members, other superintendents have been through a year unlike anything else we may ever see. Um, what's your, what's your take on, on this year that, that superintendents have had? What do you think? Um, do you, do you see the role of the superintendent in the kind of larger national discussion around, innovation changing or reshaping? I do. And it has been an unbelievable difficult year, complex. Uh, and there are people who are okay with the ambiguity that we were presented this year. There, were, there was no playbook. Uh, those people who were able to push through, um, I think are going to come out much stronger on the other side. I do think that there's some lessons that um, we should not forget. And unfortunately, after some level of chaos or disruption, we tend to go back quickly to the default, doing the same old things we always did. And I think there's some real opportunities here for us to really reimagine what that might look like. You know, and I don't mean it has to be a complete 180 degree turn. I just think there's some small things that we've learned that can help us accelerate the kind of things that we're trying to accelerate in terms of student achievement and engagement. What are some of the really kind of uh, heroic things you've you witnessed, whether it's districts you're working with or just superintendents you know out there? What are what are, do you have a, a story or two of just like heroic, awesome things that have happened? And maybe you can, without sharing names, just if you've seen somebody that you're working with or a colleague go through a really tough but important learning experience, you know, what what does that look like? Yeah, that that's a very long list, unfortunately, uh, this past year or so. Um, I will tell you that the first call I got during this COVID crisis came from a former colleague of mine who worked for me as an area superintendent. He is now superintendent in Everett, Washington. Uh, his name is Dr. Ian Saltzman. Ian called me in a panic uh, when this first came out. Everett, Washington in that Washington area was one of the first places that COVID was publicly recognized, and he had the unfortunate and dubious distinction of being the first school superintendent to have a school-age child test positive for COVID in the entire country. And he called uh, to tell me that and also for help to prepare for an interview with CNN Wolf Blitzer. So imagine oh, first-year superintendent, 
moving from Fort Lauderdale, Palm Beach area to Everett, Washington, six months into the job, worldwide pandemic. And oh, by the way, I'm live with Wolf Blitzer tonight. What, you know, what, what should I do? <laughs> so, you know, wow. that's a tough place to be in. And, um, you know, myself and a few other colleagues helped prepare him with three talking points. And we basically, you know, like all good communication, keep it simple, say the same thing two or three times over and over uh, and focus on what's best for kids, adults, and community. So that was a really interesting um, experience. And I think in the end, uh, Ian really stepped up and in many ways became the voice of COVID and school reopening in the whole state of Washington because he did so well, not only on the interview, but also working with his local officials and county government folks to get schools reopened. Yes, I, I remember this very well. Uh, we have we had at the time a bunch of um, you know great close IEI members who come to a lot of our stuff in the Seattle area. We're really excited that uh, Dr. Sossum is going to be with us this year. It's a really great um, addition to this group. But yeah, I remember watching all that thinking I, these these folks have the weight of the world on them because they've got, you know, our, our colleague Susan Enfield, all, the first thing she started talking about on social media was how she's got to get all the kids fed. I mean, I considered that she was the first person kind of beating the drum about that. And then she was the first person talking about, oh, my gosh, a lot of my kids don't have Wi-Fi at home. You know, they don't have Internet access, you know these dire needs came up once we had to, once we couldn't let the kids into the buildings, yeah. you know? I think people forget just what an important structure K-12 is beyond reading and writing. And that actually brings me to probably one of the big and most important points that I'd want to share in terms of lessons learned is this notion that we actually created stronger local community partnerships uh, because of COVID. And what I'm going to say is that don't lose sight of that relationship. In fact, keep that relationship going. So for example, for the first time in a long time, we had to work very closely with the medical community, social services. And we always had some interaction with these groups in the past, but not like this year. This right. year, it has been some cases, weekly meetings with those county government officials, city government officials, right? And all of these agencies stepped up in a big way to help us solve the K-12 space so that parents can get back to work and the community can start waking up, you know, and the economy can start growing again. So my first bit of advice is you created those strong local community partnerships. Please, please, please stay with it. If the Boys and Girls Club deepen their relationship with you, houses of worship, business development boards, rotary clubs. Keep that momentum going and don't let it get back to the way it was where we yeah. had sort of like an annual meeting with the rotary club. No, mm -hmm. keep them close. Help with the recovery and getting the kids back on track. Communication strategies with families change significantly as well. I observed it as a parent. I observed it from all the different companies we work with at IEI, but how you communicated and how frequently you communicated changed. I wonder if we'll go back to previous practices. I think parents are going to expect that level of communication um, and quite frankly, use it to your advantage to talk about all the other wonderful programs that you'll be creating with your ARP dollars, i.e. before and after school programming, you know, uh, summer programming, acceleration camps. I'm hearing all kinds of cool ideas that people are coming up with. Brag about it. 
share it with yeah. people, get them to come and take advantage of the funding that you've been able to get from the federal government. It's wonderful. And districts that were slow to embrace social media finally came along this year, I think. Um, and I saw a lot of people kind of step up and really build, you know, sort of an individual brand for their, their leadership, whether it's principals, special ed directors, superintendents, deputy superintendents, people just really kind of got quite verbal online. And it's been uh, a lot of it's been really inspiring stuff to read. It has. And remember, these are the same people that will vote for your levies or your tax increases, right? So, you know, you don't just need to talk to them when it's time to, you know, promote something and get a tax passed. Right. Um, yep. If you do it all year, every year, then people feel comfortable that there's a strong leader in, in, in position to help with, um, you know, with improvements in the community. Yeah. So let's shift gears and talk about our, our private sector friends. We've, we try to, we're, we're here to help bridge the gap and get more discussion happening between the practitioners and those building the solutions uh, that are gonna help those practitioners help kids, right? That's, that's what we're all about. We're about to host an event this summer uh, in July where we're gonna get superintendents sitting down in small groups in, in rooms with product experts, product design experts, designing the, 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 the K-12 tech or non-tech uh, yeah. solution that they wish they had in their district, right? We're gonna sort of design those and present them. You know, that's part of how we're trying to increase communication, not just panels and discussions like this, but doing real work together um, yeah. in collaboration. What a lot of companies are trying to figure out how to play this next school year. I think there, there are some who uh, think, think that there's going to be a massive windfall of cash for ARP and there will be for some solutions, not for others. Um, how, what advice do you have for the private sector folks on how to play this next six months? Yeah, so right now, I think this notion of voice is incredibly important. Meaning, are you engaging with your partners, your partner school districts? Is there a relationship there? Can you deepen that relationship and ask authentic questions and get authentic feedback? Unfortunately, you know, sometimes there are some companies and solution providers that underestimate the savviness of school leaders, okay? They can see through a real sales pitch versus I really want to understand what problem you're trying to solve and that we're, we are as a company truly dedicated to improving outcomes for all kids, right? The, the industry has to make money. Look, that's the reality of the world we're in, right? You've got to make money so you can pay your employees and you can pay for product improvement. Great companies pour their profits and their margins back into their solution. And people see the difference. And a lot of companies who just sprang up at the last minute um, trying to you know, morph and pivot to fit today's COVID world aren't going to make it because eventually COVID is going to go away and ARP money is going to dry up. And the people who will get renewed, the companies that get renewed, are the ones that A, got great results, B, gave great service, and C, really listened to the problems that the superintendents and their teams are having and try to meet that demand. 
do you think this is a good, bad, or indifferent, like it's the same as, always, as it has always been, time for a new solution provider to jump in? Because I've, I've had that question come from, from potential partners who come to me and, you know, are they, are they looking to try new stuff? And then I, I have other partners who come in hot and say, we have the best thing ever for this new environment right. we're all heading into, right? So what's your take on, you know, is there anything different about how a, a younger, earlier stage company yep. should approach the next six months? So what I'll tell you is this. The stuff that's not going to last, I know this is going to sound really common sense, is like, okay, we created this great COVID tracker, right? Or we created uh, a model um, that keeps the air clean for COVID. It's designed just for COVID. Well, guess what? The next virus that comes out may be different, right? And so I guess what my point is this. If you are solving a problem that existed before COVID, and you found that it, during this disruption, the problem got even worse, then please rush it to the market and help us, right? So this notion of closing gaps, improving outcomes for kids, underrepresented youth, absolutely 100% we're still looking for and there's a huge need for it. And I think school systems are looking for that and they want deep relationships. It's not just about buying stuff. I wanna right. be able to buy great products make sure my team knows how to use them, right? And then I wanna be able to see the results. And I, what I tell early stage companies right now is that, okay, so you feel like you're, you're aligned to what everyone needs to do right now. Just go into this understanding that you're, you're still small and you're only doing a slice of it mm -hmm. and grow with these people, get to know them, yep. build a relationship and then let them tell you what you should build next and next after that. Yeah, and unfortunately, Again, because I've been on both sides, I was on the buying side way more the selling than the selling side. But what I'll tell you is be careful also, solution providers, about going fishing for a whale because you might catch one. And what I mean by that is if you wind up you know, connecting with and winning a big, big district and you're not able because of your size to actually give great service and you then lose that business in a public way – you're in trouble. So a lot of times we overlook small districts. That's not fair. Yes. Oh they actually gosh, yes. have a lot more. They have a lot of the same problems, but a lot less staff to fix it. Does that make sense? Right. And so in many ways, our smaller districts are really looking for help. And, um, you know, companies need to see that as a positive. Yeah. Attention venture capitalists. <laughs> if you're not, if you're not willing to let your founders work the the real school districts where real kids go to school, um, then it, it's going to be a rough go for you. You got to let them work the process and get get known in a state, get into a you know seventy five hundred student district yeah. that is that's geographically contiguous with eight other districts. That's that's how this business works. And I think for a while people were um, putting all this money into companies and then not letting their founders go to the districts that wanted to work with them. Right. Yeah. And what I'll tell you is this, I, I do a lot of go-to-market strategy work with both very seasoned uh, sort of veteran companies and, and mid, mid sort of, you know, experience and then early startups. And I say that all the time. This industry, unlike any other, meaning education, is a strong referral industry, which means Super if strong. I'm... If I'm the superintendent in Fulton County 
and the superintendent in Atlanta tells me she's using this solution and she says it's unbelievable. I'm going to listen to her all day rather than, you know, all the noise that I'm hearing in the marketing or that I hear. Correct, correct me if I'm wrong, Robert. I think you'd also, the superintendent in Atlanta may not know what you're talking about, but that person will go email staff, get feedback, come back to you and say, yep. well, my, my deputy said this or that, and you're going to believe that over anything else you hear anywhere else. A hundred percent. And right now what's happening is there are companies who are inundating superintendents, trying to get in front of them, and there's so much noise, they are not getting through. It's only through face-to-face. It's through me calling on your behalf or Doug calling on your behalf. That tends to be probably one of the most important ways to get in front of someone right now. Yeah. Well, well, Doug doesn't do that anymore. (laughs) Doug now runs IEI, but um, I did it for many years. And uh, it's, I I will say I've observed a couple of things are changing. I see more bootstrappers, less uh, venture backed companies, just in terms of number and volume. I see uh, venture capital starting to build longer, um, you know, uh, longer roadmaps for getting to revenue. And I see K-12 sales changing. And I've been in the game for a while, but I, I see the, the, the strategies, the type of work that gets done, the, the type of people who do it. And it's not just the typical, you know, salespeople always want to be better at like working smarter and, um, and qualification and targeting and all that. But I, I see, I see the, I see more founders who are willing to embrace the sales aspect of this, which means that the sales strategies and the sales processes are becoming more educator influence because many of the founders come out of classrooms. And I think that's creating it. The, the days of the sort of veteran sales rep who has the deep Rolodex in four states and can just put you on the map, uh, it's, it's not like that anymore where they can just work entirely on relationships because there is a national conversation happening in thought leadership corners, whether it's LinkedIn or uh, Clubhouse or, or somewhere else, Twitter, um, you know, at our place, at other groups like ours. It's, I'm just seeing, and I'm also seeing that people who, people who might be brand new to the industry, and I'm thinking about a couple of people in particular right now, and they probably know who they are because I've told this to them. People brand new to the industry, brand new to, don't really have an education background, or maybe they taught a year or two or something, but people who come in with just amazing listening skills that I think maybe this generation has better than any before it, um, who come in and just just are humble and listen really well, can be really good at this. And I think that's those are the things that that I tell companies to look for: authenticity. Um, and you you said it a couple of times: willingness to roll up sleeves and be a partner. That's exactly right. And you know sort of going back to the original question about some of these lessons learned uh, and how we might um, both on the school system side and the solution provider side really take a deep look. I call them retrospective. And I know a lot of us are looking back and saying, all right, what have we learned about all of this hybrid or flexible scheduling that we've looked at? And what part of it actually may have benefited some groups And I'll give you a personal example. So I've got two kids, a ninth grade daughter and a 12th grade son. Uh, In Florida, 
the state required school districts to open in August of, of this past year, and they did. My daughter went to school every single day and went face to face. She's very social, wouldn't think of it, you know, staying home at all. My son, on the other hand, would get up at 728, turn on his camera at 730, start school. And then during his lunch break, which at his school is a full hour, he yeah. would take his lunch and eat it in the car while running DoorDash. And he'd make $50 <laughs> during his lunch break. Yeah. Right. So now all of a sudden, here's a kid who was making 250 bucks a week during school because at night he plays competitive soccer. Now, imagine if we can create the kind of high school experience that allows kids, almost like a community college, where I want to take classes Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays, and I don't want to go to school Tuesdays and Thursdays, but Tuesdays and Thursday nights, I'll do the homework that I need to because I want to work Tuesday and Thursday. I'm not going to go to college. I want to get a post-secondary degree, and I want, sorry, certificate, and I want to do glazier work like my father does. He hangs glass, right? Whatever. Uh, my point cool. is this. If we don't learn how to create flexible scheduling, particularly for high school kids, I think we've missed out on a grand opportunity that schooling can work in this two-dimensional world or some mixture of the two. But we all did. I mean, everybody just learned how to do, most districts learned how to do some form of flexible hybrid learning. They, they had to. Some states, they only send kids back on campuses like a month ago. So, right. you know, um, it's... This is what this is what people talk about, though, with the rigidity of the status quo or the muscle memory. Um, and it's going to take it's going to take some some vision from not just district leaders, but board members who govern yeah. them. Right. Yeah. And I, I hope that the school boards associations will work with their members about sort of, frankly, trusting if a superintendent comes in with some wild ideas about changing schedule and all that based on what we've learned this year, I hope those ideas are going to get to uh, see the light of day. All right. So Doug, let me put it this way. Imagine this five years ago when I'm in Fulton County schools, imagine if I just told the entire community, you know what, we're going to shut school down for this year. You're just going to learn from home. Trust right. me, it's going to work, right? We were forced to do that. Now, all of a sudden, because most of us are influenced by our own personal experiences, you say, look, high school can only be the way that it is because it worked great for me and therefore it's gonna work great for my kid. We were forced to do this, right? Now all of a sudden we have a test case here. We've got some parents who say, wait a minute, I actually saw my kid's level of engagement and grades go up. Why the heck would I send him back to school where yeah. he's gonna goof around and get in trouble and you know it works for me. So school systems better figure a way out to do this because if they don't, they're gonna lose kids to charter schools and online schools. And with kids walk out, money walks out with them. Yep. Um, there is now also a growing leadership pipeline challenge. A lot of, lot of district leaders have decided to move on or, People are there's a lot, a lot of turnover, a lot of shuffling, a lot of re early retirements, um, or just people who decided to retire at regular retirement age. We're going to see potentially a gap in um, in the pipeline of of leaders. We're out. Robert is going to be one of the instructors of our IEI Lead Aspiring Superintendent Program. Um, what thoughts do you have for people who are considering making the next step in their career from yep. say teacher to principal or principal or something else to a superintendent right. and and 
you know, what, what's it like right now to be? Well, I'll tell it? you right now, as if you're a superintendent or a deputy superintendent, it is your responsibility to help build that pipeline for your community. A hundred percent. Just like it's your responsibility to make sure you have a wonderful pool of principal candidates that you're investing in, those, those, those deans, those assistant principals, it is your responsibility to get what I would call a high potential principal, even though they may be three years away from becoming, let's say, an assistant superintendent, invest in them. Think about the message you're sending if you tap somebody and say, you know what, Robert, I think you're going to be a, a, a great assistant superintendent someday. I need to start investing in your development. It's not just the person who's going from assistant soup to superintendent. You can start investing in this leadership early, early on as a principal that we say, all right, Doug's looking to retire in the next three years. I'm going to go ahead and start investing in Robert because I hope that Doug, you know, he'll take Doug's position, right? This whole notion of succession planning, yeah. uh, investing in that and allowing them to get outside concepts and ideas and not just doing it internally. Because a lot of times these big districts and smaller medium will just do things the way they've always done them. But going to an IEI lead and learning from people from across the country with different ideas, they're going to be bringing those ideas back to you. And in the end, the kids are the beneficiaries. Yeah, it's um, it, it's an interesting it's an interesting time. This is not for the faint of heart. A lot of our a lot of our members have confided to me that they have had a really rough year. They thought about they want to be doing this. Um, you know, how many years left on the contract? You know, people start looking at things. There's also been an interesting political thing happening this year um, that I want to get your take on. As you've been talking to districts, I've I've talked to several of our members about this, and it's just it's heartbreaking stuff that the national political discussion has bled into the discussion of how we run school this year and has caused you know people to be very upset on either side of an issue like masking. Do we wear them or not? Um, we had the issue here in New York where the, there was a letter sent to the CDC from the State Department, State Commissioner of Health, sort of raising the question about whether masks should be worn at school. And then all of a sudden, a few districts start saying we're, we're banning masks. And then you got parents upset. It's the political stuff around this has been challenging and it's come to the footsteps of a board of ed and a superintendent. On top of that, because of COVID, everybody started doing all their board meetings online. So now you're, you're getting people participating in the process who maybe weren't otherwise, which generally speaking as a fan of civics is a good thing. Um, how have you been seeing our, your, your colleagues, you know, manage this difficult political climate this year? Well, some are doing fine. Others have completely made rookie mistakes. And I'm just going to call it what it is. When you make decisions in isolation, um, they are the most dangerous times for a school superintendent, period, and a discussion. When you hear your school board wanting to start putting an equity policy in place that you personally know is like kicking an anthill, like my friends in Georgia taught me that analogy, you know, don't don't just go around kicking anthills because it's a problem. You're gonna get you're gonna get stung big time. Um, you know it, this whole issue of critical race theory. You look, it is a talking what kind about of ants race do they in have class. In Georgia? Oh yeah, huge they fire sting? ants, man. Oh my fire gosh. ants. Oh my <laughs> we, gosh. Like, we got tame ants up here, but anyway, keep no. going. Yeah, yeah, fire ants. Um, but listen, so imagine sort of this notion of dealing with race and class after the kind of year that we've had. 
uh, with you know people being you know killed. There's emotions running high, killed by police. Um, emotions running high on both sides of this issue of of race and class. Um, I implore you put equity policies in place. Make sure that funding is equitable. Calling out that there's issues is important. Blaming anybody, whether it's blacks, whites, Latinos, polka dots, stripes, we need to stay away from that because what winds up happening is it it stops us from focusing on the right work. I always say stop talking about all this equity work and just do it. Do the work, show the progress, create proof points. If you turn one low performing school around, then people will say, wow, how'd you do it? Let's do 10 more. Let's do a whole district, right? And so what I would tell superintendents is work with your school boards. And a lot of times it's the school boards that get out ahead of themselves and then cause a problem for the superintendent. Right. Because they're responding to things they hear in the community. Correct. These are accessible people. You can talk to them at the grocery store. And and that's fine. But they're not running the district. They're supposed to be policymakers. Um, But, you know, look, don't what I would tell my my friends in schools is don't be afraid. Lead with your heart. Be smart. Pay attention to where mistakes are being made and and try to avoid making those same mistakes. I'm not telling you not to work on the equity stuff. It's just how you discuss it and describe it in this super polarized world is a problem. So in other words, this is an interesting piece of advice. Uh, Don't necessarily have a long drawn out discussion, just make changes. You know, and our friend, uh, our friends, Jess Gartner at Alleview is always trying to help people see the financial side of this and what it looks like and how you can very quickly see that we've spent more money on kids who look like this and less money on kids who look like this. And so, you know, uh, where the look like could be learning need, could be, you know, race, could be socioeconomic. Um, but, you know, if you follow the dollars, she tells us, then that's where all the you priorities. Can... Right, exactly. 100%. She's a star. The work she and her group, um, you know, do is amazing. Um, and again, you know, like I said, be smart, be authentic. Um, work for kids and and for their needs and 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 not f- just for adults. And I think if you have a couple of core values that you can follow, you'll be okay. And again, reach out to to friends and colleagues when you're stuck because they may have gone through something similar and they have advice for you. Well, we're uh, we're kind of getting near the end of our time here, but you know, I've also heard from a lot of our members. I'm sure you're hearing from your colleagues that this year has taken taken. A lot of energy out of them. It's really sapped them. What, as we head into summer, some some of our colleagues are already in summer. Um, what advice do you have for sort of uh, for wellness and for recharging and getting back at it when school opens? That is a great question, and it's a great way to end our conversation because I hope that it'll resonate with those who are listening. People look to leaders to get a sense of how they should react and what they should do. So if they see a leader who's frazzled, who's exhausted, who's maybe put on some weight, who maybe seems 10 years older than they did last year, you're not sending a good signal to your staff. So first, as they say on the airplane, put the oxygen mask on yourself before trying to help the person next to you put their oxygen mask on. So what do I mean by that? Get outside, get some fresh air, begin your exercise routines again, eat well, 
take a vacation, spend some time with loved ones, make sure you're vaccinated, start going back out and living and eating dinner out and going to conferences and, and trying to bring a work-life balance uh, so that when you come back in August, you know, you can help motivate people to do the work that they need to do for kids. Yeah. And that probably goes for, for people like you and me too, who do what we do. And I'm trying to take that advice. This has been uh, quite a year. I mean, I, I, I can't complain. We've, I, I had a really fun and interesting year full of all kinds of learning and meeting new folks, but at the same time, it, it all, it, all this stuff comes at a, at a price, any kind of, you know, leadership and entrepreneurial effort. So uh, great advice, Dr. Avosa. Thank you. Um, well, thanks for being on with us. And we're just, we're really just uh, very humbled and thrilled that you're, you're part of what we're doing here. It's really glad to have you on the team. Looking forward to continuing and deepening our relationship and meeting new friends and colleagues and sharing the good, bad, and the ugly of K-12. So thank you. All right, Robert. Thanks. This has been Education Thought Leaders, brought to you by the Institute for Education Innovation. The superintendents we don't have here is not we, you can have people who support you, but no one's sincere. Talking about shared solutions, talking about collaborating at a very, very high level. So coming here kind of gives you a little rejuvenation, that little pick-me-up. And that whole exploration and development of new partnerships is critical.